Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. We are told that when we meet Jesus, how many of you have ever met Jesus? All right, four of you. How many of you have ever met Jesus? Come on. All right, you've asked Jesus. When we meet Jesus and we make him the Lord and the Savior of our life, we are told that everything should change, right? In fact, you, you, you can quote the scriptures, Behold, old things have passed away, all things are new, right? Uh, if, you know, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. We know all the verses of scripture. Here's my question. When we meet Christ, when we meet Jesus and we ask him into our heart, what should change? What should be transformed? You say, well, see, that's a crazy question. Why would you ask that question? Let me tell you why I'm asking that question this morning. Because what I've discovered is that most of the people that I run into, not all, but most of the people that I run into that have that would stand up and raise their hand and say, I've given my heart and life to Jesus, what I've discovered is that most of those folks really haven't changed. Their attitudes are just as bad as they were before they met Jesus. They still behave and they still react and they still talk and they still go to the same places and do the same things that they did before they met Jesus. But they raise their hand and say, I met Jesus, but we see no transformation, no change. So my question is, what's supposed to change? Now, before we go too far in this, let me just acknowledge to you publicly this morning that I understand, I recognize, I realize that we don't like change. Right? Uh, we like everything to stay exactly like it is. In fact, we fight change. Right? D- don't you fight change in your own life? I mean, if, if your wife moves your keys from where you usually lay, come on now. I don't like change. I fight change. That's why um, we, Mark Twain said it like this, and, and I think he's right. He said, the only person who likes change is a wet baby. The only one. I think he was absolutely correct because the truth is we don't like to change. But hear me this morning. The truth is also that if we are to become what God wants us to become, we must change. If we really encounter Christ and we really have a relationship with him, everything has to change. That's why one of my favorite quotes of all times was made by Max Dupree when he said this. He said, in the end... It is important to remember that we cannot become what we need to be by remaining what we are. There must be transformation. So when we begin to talk about transformation and change, there's a golden passage of Scripture that we always read. And it's a powerful portion of Scripture, and and the truth of the Scripture is so powerful. But I want you to catch something different about it this morning than just the, the truth of the Scripture. I want you to hear God's attitude about change. Because in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 through 19, it says this. It says, Remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Revealing to us that not only uh, is it mandatory that we change, but God requires and longs to bring change into our lives. So how many of you would agree as you look around the room and see your neighbor that some things need to change? Come on now. Look at your neighbor real close. Some things need to change. How many of you looked in the mirror this morning and saw something that needed to change? Right? We all need change. Now, the, the 
problem or the challenge of that admission that we need change is this. We will never change unless we become completely dissatisfied with where we are now. Don't complain about what you tolerate. If, if you don't sense or experience change in your life, what it reveals to us is that we have not grown so dissatisfied with where we are that we're ready to move to the next level. It's called insanity. You know the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing the same way, expecting different results. Look at your neighbor and say, you're insane. You cannot do what you've always done and get something different than what you've already gotten. So the admission that we need to change produces in us a challenge to become so dissatisfied and so de- desperate for something different that it forces us to move, to change, to adapt. Now the good news is, is that as I've read to you, God desires to bring change. He desires to produce transformation in, in, in our lives. And so over the next three weeks, I want to talk to you about three key areas that I believe that God wants to produce change in us. These are significant areas. If these three things change, everything changes. They have have implications for the rest of our life. If we change these three elements, everything around us will change. And the first area that I believe that there must be a transformation in is our mind. Now, you know the text. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. You could probably quote it. I'll read it to you, and then we'll look at it out of the Message Bible. It's a little bit different there. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this. And be not fashioned according to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, and ye may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. In the Message Bible, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognizing what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I believe that the first area and one of the most crucial areas that transformation must overtake our life is in our mind. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, be renewed in your minds so that you won't act like you used to act before you met Jesus. If you act and think and, and think about the things that you used to think about after you've met Jesus, something's wrong. That's why Jesus challenges us and says, you should love God with all of your mind. Something should happen between your ears. And so I, I think this quote is so important, and, and I think it kind of brings it all into a, a summary for us. This guy said, I don't even know who said this. He just said this. He says, whatever you hold in your mind will tend to occur in your life. If you continue to believe, to believe as you've always believed, you will continue to act as you've always acted. If you continue to act as you've always acted, you will continue to get what you've always gotten. If you want different results in your life or your work, all you have to do is change your mind. He didn't say you have to change jobs. He didn't say you have to change spouse. He didn't, he didn't say anything. He said you just got to change your mind and everything changes. Why? Because when we perceive differently, things are different. So there are four areas that I want us to look at as it, as it deals with our mind and, and, and how this change, this transformation should take place in our lives. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, he's, he's going to mess with your mind this morning. 
four areas that we've got to change the way that our mind works. The first one is this. We need to see a transformation in what we think about. Our thought life. You want me to share a really scary thought with you? This is a scary thought. Are you ready? Here it is. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus, the Bible says that the Pharisees were complaining about Jesus, not out loud, but in their mind. And guess what Matthew chapter 9, verse 4 says? Jesus knew their thoughts. Woo, that's scary. See, some of you think that your thought life is off limits to God, and he doesn't know what you thought about it about midnight last night. You don't think he thought he, he knew what you were thinking when you were in the car riding down the road and somebody cut you off? You don't think he knew what you were thinking about when you were flipping on the TV past the channels you've been watching? And what I am saying to you, it's a scary thought that Jesus can read your mind. He knows every thought that crosses this thing called your brain. He knows every thought, every imagination that passes by. We must guard our thought life. That's why in Philippians chapter 4 verse 8, we are taught what we're supposed to think about. He teaches us exactly what we are supposed to think about. There's no wiggle room here. There's no gray areas. It's all black and white. This is what he says. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are just, what thing, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any th- praise, think on these things, period. So my question this morning is this. What you've been thinking about doesn't line up with that list. Has your thought life been about good things and lovely things and pure things and just things and honorable things? Because if your thought life contains items that don't fall in those categories, they are wrong and they must be adjusted. So how do we do that? See, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, when the writer doesn't only tell us what we should think about. He teaches us about our responsibility for our thought life. Well, well, God, if you don't want me to think about those things, it's your response. No, 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 no. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are, are not of the flesh, but mighty before God to the casting down of strongholds. Listen, casting down imaginations and every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God and bringing what? Every, what? Thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What the writer is saying is it is my responsibility to control my thought life. I'm preaching good right now. It's your responsibility to control your thought life. Well, God, you've got to do that. No, it's your responsibility. He placed it on us. There is power already working in us that we have the ability and, and the, the uh, gifting, if, if you will, to take every thought and bring it into captivity and say, you know what, that's not Christ-like, that's not pure, that's not holy, and I cannot dwell on that thing. Now, why do we have problems? Why, why do we struggle so badly with, with the thoughts that run through our mind? I believe most of our problem in our thought life is due to the material that we place in before our eyes and that go into our ears because you understand that what goes in your ears goes into your mind and into your spirit, right? And so I, I just begin to question, well, God, why do we struggle so badly with thought life? Why, why is that such an issue? And then I came across this. I, I came across this discovery that by the time you're 18, 
you've seen 180,000 beer commercials on TV by the time you're 18. Not only that, by the time you're 18, you've seen 80,000 murders on television. And then I read this recent report that said this, that, that more than 60% of the people from the ages of 14 to 30 would give up food before they'll give up their music. They'll starve before they are willing to give up their, their iPod and their CDs. And that's crazy. And then we go, well, God, I can't seem to control my thought life. Well, what are we feeding our thought life? Because what I also discovered is that we don't have any word in our mind to counteract what we are feeding ourselves all the time. Because Barna recently did a a survey and he discovered this about reading the Bible. He discovered that the older you get or the younger that you are, the less likely you are to read the word. He said it like this. He said, Bible reading during a typical week drops as age drops. 58% of elders, don't raise your hands, builders and seniors, I didn't didn't want to point you all out, and 47% of boomers, and 42% of busters, and 32% of mosaics read the Bible in a typical week. It's teaching us that the younger you are, the less likely you are to read your word in a typical week. Therefore, when you feed your mind junk, and you listen to junk, and you watch junk, and you're surrounded by junk, you don't have the word and the ability to walk. Wash your mind clean because in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 26, the Bible declares that the word is like a cleansing agent. You can be washed in the water of the word. That's why it's not enough just to come and listen, although we'll get that here in just a second. That's why it's not enough to pop a CD in your CD player in your truck or your car and say, well, listen to the word. Yes, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, and you do need to hear the word. But the reality is that you've got to get in the word for yourself, and you get that word out and begin to read it. And as you read it, it washes your mind clean. The reason we struggle is that we don't have enough of God's word. We need to fill our minds and our hearts with the Word of God. That's why we've got to follow and pursue the admonition of Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, which says this, Set your minds, your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are upon the earth. We've got to think about God. We've got to think about good things. We've got to think about holy things. We have to have God's Word to offset all the junk that we put in our life. The second area that must be transformed in our life is not only what we think about, but secondly, how we think about ourselves. See, we read in in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that the Bible says that we should renew our mind. But then we always stop because we never go on and read because in verse 3 and in verse 16, the writer goes on and he tells us how we should think about ourselves. He says this, For I say, Through the grace that was given me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think as to think soberly according as God hath dealt each man a measure of faith. Verse 16, get along with each other. Listen to this. This is great. This is in the Message Bible. I love this. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. What's he saying to uh, to us? He's saying to us that we need to change our minds about ourselves. See, most of us think about ourselves in one of two ways, and neither are correct. The first way that most of us think about ourselves is we think too highly. We're we're proud. We're puffed up. We primp and we strut. I've seen some of y'all walk. I I know how you walk in. We got, this is real old, so some of you young guys want to, but you got the Ric Flair going on. You know what, the Ric Flair, come on now. Woo, you know how to strut. 
Yeah, or John Travolta, if you really want to go back. You know, you got the Saturday. Yeah, you know. But the reality is, is that our generation, the, the, the most of the people that we're surrounded by, they have become self-absorbed and so self-centered that they are so proud that it produces a fence around them that nobody's good enough and I'm better than everybody else and I deserve better than I'm getting and I should be treated better than I'm being treated because I'm so awesome that everybody ought to recognize it and realize it and if they only knew who was here, they wouldn't act the way they're acting because I'm here. And the second element of that is that if, if we don't think that way, it produces paranoia in us because we think so highly of ourselves that we think everybody's out to get us. We're self-absorbed. Now, the other, the, the, the opposite side of the spectrum is, is some people think too highly of themselves while some folks in this room right now think way too lowly of themselves. You struggle with low self-esteem. You look in the mirror every morning and you don't like what you see. You don't have as much hair as you used to have or would like to have, Michael Bartlett. I saw Aaron rubbing his head. He, he does that on purpose. I wished I was doing this on purpose. It's, it's just happening. I don't understand it. Some of you don't like what you see in the mirror because you're wider than you want to be or skinnier than you want to be. You're not the model in the magazine. Yeah, especially after Christmas and eating all we've eaten, right? Come on now. We struggle with low self-esteem and we see ourselves as ugly or fat or as an outcast or as a reject or as a nobody. And what I am saying to you this morning is a transformation must overtake our mind so that we see ourselves correctly because we can't go too high and we can't go too low. We've got to be somewhere in between and understand that, yes, we are royalty. We are a chosen generation. We are heirs and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. We are the head and not the tail. We are the first and not the last. We, have, we are more than overcomers. But because we recognize who we are, that should produce in us a humility because we understand, I don't deserve this. I, was, I wasn't born on the right side of the tracks. My daddy doesn't have royalty running through his natural veins. I, I didn't grow up in a palace. But the truth is, is that although I didn't deserve it, God gave me grace. God gave me mercy. He's elevated me. He's promoted me. And now I'm here. So I can't be too proud because I didn't do this on my own. But I can't be too low because he pulls me in even when I didn't want him to. Not too highly, not too low. We've got to change how we think about it. If you're dealing with low self-esteem, get over it. None of us like what we see in the mirror most of the time. If you think too highly of yourself, get off your high horse. You're not all that in a bag of chips. You're good, but you're not that good. There's always somebody better. Right? Find the middle ground. Find that middle place where, where we live in humility and we get along with everybody and we see people as who they are. They're equals. And that deals with the third area. Because not only should we change what we think about and how we think about ourselves, we must also change how we think about others. See, the truth is this morning is that we are family. Y'all want to sing that? We are, okay, thought so. Right? We're family. We don't get to pick, we get to pick friends. We don't get to pick family. Right, uh, come on now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have family members that if you had a choice in the matter, you would not have picked them as family? Come on, some of you ate turkey. Oh, I, I said I didn't know. I said I wasn't going to ask for hands. I know some of you ate turkey with them over Thanksgiving and had to eat with them at Christmas and you didn't like it. But you had to, why? Because they're family. See, we've got to understand that, that the reality is, is that we are brothers and sisters whether we like it or not. I believe that God has assigned people 
to us. Our problem is, is we're trying to get away from family. See, he, he's my brother from a different mother, right? Right? And she's my sister from a different mother, right? We're, we're family. I don't get to pick them. Well, if I don't like them, I'll just go to another church. Well, you're just leaving family behind. How many of you have ever had to live where your family was not? Okay, I know. Okay, I knew. See, I, we did that for eight and a half years. Can I tell you? It's better with family than without family. With all their idiosyncrasies and all their, their nuttiness sometimes. and their, My mom and dad are sitting in the room and I'm not talking about them, all right? With, with, with all the craziness that some of you deal with with your families and all the, the, the ups and the downs and the roller coaster ride, let me just tell you, as, as someone who's done it, it is better with family than without family. See, in Romans, again, he deals with this. In Romans chapter 12, verses 10, 13 through 15, 17 through 18, he says, Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies, no cursing under your breath. I think I'll read that again. Bless your enemies, no cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. What God wants to produce in us is a transformation that causes us to be filled with compassion and love for one another. Probably the best example I know of that is, is a lady who wrote into Ann Landers, and she wrote this. She said, it happened again today. My two sons and I were in the shopping mall, and a total stranger felt the need to comment on the fact that my, bo- my, that my boys didn't look anything alike. Apparently, my six-year-old decided that it was time to explain the difference. He said, I'm adopted. That's when you have the same family, but not the same face. And I don't have the same face as you, but the truth is, is we are just as much family. We've all been adopted. We've all been brought into this fold, this family. We need, hear me, we need one another. And so the reality is is that the problem most of us have is we see each other as competition or as an enemy, and God is trying to teach us and produce a transformation in us where we understand that with all of our hang-ups and all of our issues, we are family. We can't get along without each other, and we're incomplete. When you're gone, it's not just because we're not the largest church in town, but let me just tell you that when you're gone, we miss you. When you're not here, I can tell it. I can almost name you. It won't always be where I can name all of you if you're missing. Well, that seat's empty, so no, it won't always be like that. But let me just tell you, whether we recognize it, whether we send you a I missed you card to make you feel real good, the truth is that when you are gone, a member of our family is gone, and we are not complete. We need you. And the fourth way that we need a transformation to take place in the area that we need to take in our thinking is this, how we think about church. We need a, a mind change. There are three ways that most of us think about church. Here's the first way. It's an obligation. We come to church because that's what good Christians do. Or we come to church because our mom and dad always made us go to church, or in some of your cases they still make you go to church. And because they made us or because they're making us, we roll in here out of obligation. We didn't really want to be here. It's just what we have to do. 
The second way that most of us think about church is it's just maintenance. Whether we really, you know, you know you do maintenance on a car whether it really needs it or not. Right? Okay. That's how we view church. Well, I got to come. It's just the same thing. It's, it's just maintenance. It's just the same old thing, same old people. They're going to do the same old things. And whether I really need it or not, I'll just do a little maintenance and I'll show up. I made a New Year's resolution, so it's just kind of maintenance. And, and I'll do it for a couple months here. And a, It's just maintenance. You don't expect anything when you get here. And the third way that most of us think about church is this. We think it's optional. There's no loyalty. It's a take-it-or-leave-it attitude. If something better comes along and a date comes along and says, you want to go out, oh, yeah, I'll miss church for that. If work comes along, oh, I ain't take, you need me to come in, I'll come in. Man, forget all I got is church. I'll come in and work for you. And it's optional. Well, I need a little more sleep this Sunday morning. I didn't get much last Sunday morning, so I'll take it on this Sunday morning. Optional. We need a transformation to overtake our mind and how we think about church. Listen, we cannot attend church out of obligation or duty. Let me, let me tell you how we ought to think about church. It is a privilege and an honor. If you don't believe that, go to China where they can't go to church. You think, stop and think about the number of people that have died and given their lives to give you the right together like this and to worship, and you suddenly realize this is an unbelievable, unexpressible privilege and honor that we get together together like this. This is not an obligation. This is the delight of our life. The, the second thing I'd said was it was maintenance. And what I want to tell you is this. We've got to quit coming to church out of a maintenance mentality where we're coming not expecting anything. You've heard me say this, I'm sure, but the atmosphere of expectancy is the breeding ground of miracles. The reason we come to church and don't get anything is because we show up church not expecting anything. You have not because you... That's what I thought. So if you come to church and you didn't get anything, it wasn't because the worship team wasn't in tune. It wasn't because the preacher couldn't preach worth a lick. The reality is is if you walk into the presence of God and you don't get anything, it wasn't God's fault. It's just that we showed up out of maintenance and we didn't expect anything. Our attitude and our mentality has to change to where we realize that we come into these doors and before we ever get to the doors, we show up and go, man, God is going to do something today in me. I'm counting on it. I'm living for it. I'm expecting it. The third thing is that we, we thought it was optional. But I would declare to you that that is so against the word of God that it's not even funny. God made no allowances in the word. If you've got to work, you don't have to go to church. If you've got, you got a movie that you've really been looking for, forward to seeing it comes out, he didn't make allowances for that. He just says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, that, that we should... Not forsake the assembling together of ourselves. Period. He is saying to us this, that when we get together, what happens is you become refreshed and renewed and refueled and refired, and you need this time together each week to get back to where you were since last week and beyond. You know, the truth is, hear me this morning, we leak. Have you figured that out? We can come into the presence of God and he can bless our socks off. We can come up here and slobber and snot all over the place. And about five hours from now, we'll be right. I don't feel like I do. What is up with it? We leak. And what God does is he brings us back together and allows us to nourish one another and help one another to get back to that level and move a little bit higher so that when we do start leaking, we're not as low as we were. This is not optional, y'all. Where did we come up with this mentality that it's optional? This is not, this should take priority over everything. 
church is more important than work, more important than friends, more important than you playing golf. It's more important than anything else. Church is vital to your life. And so we have to change the way we think. A man becomes what he thinks. Emerson said like this, he said, A man is what he thinks about all day long. The Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius put it this way. He said, a man's life is what his thoughts make of it. William James said this. He said, the greatest discovery of my generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering the attitudes of their mind. And the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The truth is, is this. Our mind can cause us to become more like Christ or less like Christ. And so what we must do is in order for us to be transformers, because that's what God has called us to do, to go into the world and transform everything around us, before you can become a transformer, you have to have transformation take place in you. And it starts in our mind. So that's why David prayed this, and this is my prayer this morning. last thing I'm going to read to you is this verse of Scripture. This is my prayer this morning. Psalms chapter 26, verse 2. I want this to be your prayer as we go into this new year. Examine me, O Jehovah, and prove me. Try my heart and my mind. It's not enough for me to get the goosebumps in my heart. You've got to do something in my mind to cause me to think differently about the things that go through my head and to think differently about myself and to think differently about others and to think differently about my church. Transformation must overtake my life. I want you to stand with me this morning. Father, you know our hearts, and we understand and recognize that, but I think we've forgotten that you also know our minds. You are a mind reader. There's not a thought, not an imagination that goes through my head that you're not aware of. I don't understand that. I can't comprehend that. It boggles my mind to think that you have that ability, but the truth is is that you do. Father, this morning we would declare and ask you to search our hearts, but don't stop there. Search my mind too. If there's any imagination that's not lining up with your word and that list that I read of areas that we are to think about, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would wash our minds clean this morning. We want to be transformed so that we can transform. Father, we believe it starts with our mind this morning. In Jesus' name. Listen, if you're here this morning, and I think this is probably everybody, so I'm going to do it this way. If you're here and you struggle with your thought life, good news. God will help you. Good news. You can help yourself. If you're here this morning and you don't, you, the way you think about yourself is wrong. Maybe you think too highly. Maybe you think too lowly. If you're here this morning and you say, Steve, I, I have a problem with how I think about others. I don't see each other's family causes me to struggle and maybe you're here and you say Steve I I really haven't thought of church right doesn't that just about get us all 
this is what I want us to do. Everybody that will. Charlie, will you help me move this? I want us to all come down front, if you will. Everyone that will, just make your way down to the front right now. We're going to do this in closing. I'm not going to keep you long. change in our minds it's a brand new year time to start over God wants to bring transformation in our life but he wants to start it right here between your ears it's got to start there first it's got to start there first you can say well Steve I, I want to have transformation in my body I want to I want to work out and get all fit well if you don't change your mind six months from now you'll be right back where you were why not have a transformation in my spirit? I, I want to get closer to God and touch, to have Him touch my... Yeah, but if you don't change your mind, six months from now, you'll be struggling with the same spiritual issues you were struggling with today. Why? Because it all starts right here. We've got to know the mind of Christ. So this is what I want us to do. I want you to lay hands on your own head. Right? Let's get our head on, a hand on our head. And let's ask God to change the way we think. Father, right now, we ask you to change our thought life. God, I pray that I would gain a hunger for your word because your word is like a cleansing agent. It's like taking out soap and washing my brain off. And God, I pray that you would begin to help me to think on the things that I should think about, those things that are lovely, those things that are pure, those things that are just, those things that are of a good report. God, I pray that every other imagination, every other thought would be cast down. Father, if there's one in the room this morning that's struggling with a thought life that is full of lust, I pray that you would clean that mind out right now. I pray that if there's one this morning that their mind is full of anger, I pray that in the name of Jesus it would be cleaned right now. God, if there's a mind filled this morning with depression, I pray that you would bring peace. Your, your word says that you would keep us in perfect peace, the man whose mind is stayed upon the Lord. So, God, I pray that you would replace depression or anxiety with peace right now. God, I pray that in our mind you would help us to see us as you see us, not too high, not too low. Father, if there's one in the room that's filled with pride this morning, I pray that you would show them that pride and let us understand that pride always becomes comes before a fall and that God hates pride and that you would produce in us a humility. God, if there's one in the room this morning that is filled with low self-esteem and that doesn't like what they see and struggles with their self-image, God, I pray that you would erase that image out of their mind right now and they would begin to see themselves like you see them, royalty, joint heirs, the head, not the tail. Father, I pray you'd help us to see each other appropriately and clearly. The folks standing around me right now are not my enemies. They are my family. God, I pray that I would begin to have compassion for them and understand that the same blood is traveling through our veins. It's your blood, and we are family. And then, God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would change our mind about church 
and it would no longer be an obligation and it would no longer be about maintenance and it would no longer be an optional thing we would understand we would comprehend that this was your design this was not man's design and that you thought we needed to be together every week and so God I pray that in the name of Jesus in our minds there would become a spirit and an anticipation of expectation that would overtake us and we would come into this house anticipating disappointed if it doesn't happen expecting a move of your spirit in our lives and in the lives of our friends and our family and our loved ones and Father we'll praise you for it we'll give you glory for it you're worthy in Jesus name in Jesus name Look at your neighbor. Point your finger in their face and say this. I'm going to change my mind. Now look at your other neighbor and say, He's going to help me change my mind. Now we've had some transformation take place that I want to make you aware of because this is huge transformation. So you guys help me remember them all. I know we've had some engagements happen over Christmas. Some transformation talk about some change here comes some change angie mcclung got engaged over the break yay hold the ring up no 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 don't be shy hold it up there it is there's proof all right and then arthur and keisha got engaged hold it where's keisha hold it up wave it around all right did i miss any who else did i miss anybody else okay there, there are like 20 that we know of that got engaged anybody want to make an announcement this morning oh, okay just want to all right so we're, we're glad for you guys, and we're excited about what God is doing in your life. We are called to be transformers. But you cannot change what's around you unless you first change. You cannot become what God wants you to become if you stay where you are. It's time to change. So, Father, over my people right now, I pray a blessing. And I ask that in the name of Jesus, you would produce change in all of our life. Even if we kick and scream and don't like it, changes. Cause us to be change agents. In the name of Jesus, you're free to go love on one another. Thank you for coming to Passion Church. We'll see you next It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 